You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. Hey everybody and welcome back to their fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 22, The Viking and the Nightmare. I am as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my companion through podcasting time and space, we have Paul Gann. Allons-y. <laughs> How's it going, Paul? Oh, dude, I'm happy. <laughs> awesome. I, don't know, I, I don't know why I'm happy, but I'm happy, so... Well, Happy is a good thing. Happy is a very good thing. Uh, Sometimes you take happy whenever you can get it. Yes. Yes. Just like the doctor after everyone lives. Um, Anyway. Big ear to ear green. Oh, yes. He had big ears to begin with. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. Call back to the 50th. Well, uh, today we are here, obviously, uh, doing our reviews of uh, The Girl Who Died and The Woman Who Lived. But before we get there, we do have a couple things we want to get to. First of all, there's a pair of news stories that I figure uh, everyone's probably already seen, but uh, we want to talk about and get uh, our thoughts on them out there. First of all, and most importantly, probably is the fact that yesterday we got the report that Peter Capaldi has signed on to film at least one more series of Doctor Who. Uh, So he's going to be uh, helming the TARDIS through at least series 10, and we will see what happens after that. Personally, I hope he stays on for two more years, but uh, because I'd like more than just three years on the TARDIS for somebody, because we've got one year, three years, three years, essentially, well, three seasons. And some specials. Did you but. see the details? What this is supposed to entail? Uh, go ahead and give us uh, a bit of a rundown. On I, that. I saw a couple of different articles about this, and one of them talked about the fact that uh, there is a lot of speculation about exactly what next season is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, from what they're talking about, it looks like it could possibly be something similar to what we saw. Um, in the final season of David Tennant's run, uh, mm. where he had a lot of, I don't want to say standalone episodes, but, um, you know, how... Specials. He had a lot of specials, but instead of doing specials, it, it said that they were talking about doing something similar 
uh, to what they're doing with um, Sherlock. Ah. So that instead of having 13 to 16 standard length episodes, they would maybe have like eight feature length episodes. Um, so that each episode would be the, the full length of a feature length movie. Gotcha. Part of the reason why they were saying that was because Capaldi was saying that uh, he found it very tiring to spend nine months out of the year filming episodes uh, for just 13 episodes. And so I think that's something that they're going to try out maybe just to see how it works. Well, the, the um, thing the thing is, is Capaldi will say that now while he's, you mm-hmm. know, winding it down, wrapping up. Right. 13 episodes but give him a couple weeks off and he may be <laughs> saying a completely singing a di- completely different tune so um well, i don't think it's 100 percent confirmed but i think that that's something that they're looking at the possibility of doing you know right right there there's been that speculation and that rumor out there for most of the season so far but it looks like he's going to be on at least another series and like i said i hope it's two uh because well, he, he has an option for another season after this one. Right. So that's after actually the one signed in the, on for. Yeah, that's actually in the contract. All he has to do is say the word and they'll renew him for another season. Right. So right. and I'm pretty sure that's built into the contract of every doctor. Um, <laughs> and companion it would seem, as Jenna Coleman changed her mind about three different times about leaving last season. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh yeah, I'm really enjoying Peter Capaldi, and I will get more into that as we talk about these episodes. And if he gets, like, a real big breakout standout episode, he will take over my favorite <laughs> new Who Doctor spot. I've said that before. He's already sort of almost neck and neck with David Tennant, for me, for the new series. But he just needs that sort of breakout standout role, standout episode, I think. I think we'll get that this season, but it hasn't quite happened just yet. He's gotten close, but not just yet for me. So. There's still a lot of things in this season that have reminded me more and more and more of uh, Tom Baker's Doctor. Mm. You know, little inflections in, in something he says or little, you know, like facial expressions or something. You know, and, and it's not... It's not uh, by any means that he's copying but it's just I think because he is such a fan kind of like David Tennant was there are certain things from certain doctors that he remembers from the past that Mm. just kind of rub off and so there's there's certain things that and I think that's one of the reasons I'm liking Capaldi so much right now is because of the fact that he reminds me a little bit of Tom Baker and Tom Baker is one of my favorites so (laughs) gotcha yeah. <laughs> gotcha. It makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, and some people might not even see it, but I, I tend to see things like that, even when other people might not. Gotcha. Um, all right, well, someone else who is returning uh, to Doctor Who, but much sooner than next season, is going to be Maisie Williams as a shielder or Lady Me or whatever she will call herself next time she's around. <laughs> Maisie Williams will be returning later this season uh, in Doctor Who, and that was confirmed basically as soon as the episode ended. The article saying, yeah, she's going to be back, was 
published on radiotimes.com. Uh, yep. Which does not surprise me with the way they left uh, the woman who lived. That was going to be one of my questions anyways, is you know, how likely are we to see her again this season, which was a pretty big likely. Um, but but well, yeah, she will be back most likely, it looks like, in episode 10, Face the Raven. Uh, yeah. So your thoughts on this? Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see um, because that's the, the episode we were speculating, um, either that episode or the one after it. Uh, where we would not see Clara anymore mm. uh, at all. So I don't know if, I mean, I think, it, I'm pretty sure it says Clara's going to be in that episode, but I don't think that we've seen anything that's, that states clearly that Clara's going to be back after that episode. Right. And so I, I think it would be interesting to see that uh, that possible passing of the torch type scenario. Uh, especially if he changes his mind and decides to take her with him at some point. Just, I'll wait and ask you that after the, the discussion. There we go. All right. Because <laughs> there's a lot about Maisie Williams and her character, whatever name she's taken at the time, uh, that we will want to talk about after we discuss these episodes. Because there was a lot to dive into there with her. Spoilers. And I think that's about time to give you guys our standard spoiler warning. We'll be talking just about everything about this episode. Uh, so, spoiler warning. <laughs> there, you've gotten it. Before we jump into our thoughts, we did, again, ask you guys uh, what your thoughts were on these two episodes, the woman, or the girl who died and the woman who lived, and we got a couple of responses. Eric Marshall uh, gave us two comments. The first one said, I haven't had the chance yet to watch The Girl Who Lived, but my thoughts on The Girl Who Died was that it was a strong episode that might have implications later in the season or beyond if Maisie Williams' character is the hybrid prophesized about in the opening two-parter. Though that could change with The Girl Who Lived. I'll post my thoughts on that once I watch it. And so he did. Uh, after watching <laughs> The Girl, the Woman Who Lived, I think that it was the weakest of the two episodes. The cat creature, I felt, wasn't used to his full to full effect, and the character of Maisie Williams was was used correctly, however. However, the evolution of her character was good. Seeing the Doctor as a highwayman didn't settle well with me. Even though he didn't kill anyone, it just didn't seem to fit his character. I'm very interested in seeing what the future holds for Maisie Williams' character, as I don't think we've seen the last of her. Which was confirmed in that news article. Exactly. Um, and then my mom likes to post things that we talk about after seeing the episode together. Uh, so she did that again. Uh, she says, The storyline and character reminds me of the character Elva in the Aragon book series. Uh, Aragon is about a bunch of dragon riders, and it's a four-book series, and I've read it at least three times. Um, <laughs> Elva was an orphan girl whom Aragon, the main character, and Saphira, his dragon, attempted to bless. But instead of speaking to shield her from harm, she became a shield from all the harm around her. Elva became somewhat a law unto herself, and you were never quite sure whether she would do great good or great evil. 
similar to a shielder slash lady me she makes a very good point and i like the connections between fandoms and literature and the aragon movie was horrible and there needs to be a remake anyway <laughs> um oh just throwing this out there did you did you know that that book was written when the author was 15 yes first yes the the first crazy he started writing the first book <laughs> when he was 15 and it was published by the time he was in his early 20s um and he was the problem with the movie sorry side tangent is that <laughs> the book was so popular the first of what ended up being four books was so popular that they're like we need to make a movie of this and capitalize on it right now except he was still writing the second book when the first book was made into a movie Mm-hmm. And so the second book wasn't even finished, and they missed some things that needed to be in the movie in order to carry on the story. Right. So, yeah, there needs to be a remake or like a, a, a mini series because it's a long and in depth story. Anyway, I will stop harping on the Aragon <laughs> bandwagon here, and we should get back to Doctor Who. Initial thoughts after seeing The Girl Who Died and The Woman Who Lived, Paul. It wasn't long enough. Oh, you've said that about <laughs> all of them so far. All of these two parters well, so far. Well, there's, there's been several instances, not on all of the episodes, but in several of them where it just felt like that certain parts of it were just really compacted. Mm. You know, it, it just felt like that certain parts were... I don't want to say not fleshed out enough, but they they just sometimes they felt a little rushed to me. If okay. That, if you get what I'm saying, because um, and, and hey, you know, I'm I'm a fan of like Peter Jackson's movies and stuff, so you know, I'm used to seeing someone really five hours you know, to tell a story, <laughs> flesh it out, you know. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's not exactly what I'm talking about, but right, but. You know, the, the thing about it for me is when you know that you have only this limited amount of time to tell this story, something has to be trimmed out of it. And, you know, sometimes I feel like that we say, okay, we've we've got to flesh all the characters out and we've got to make this build up and everything else. And then we're only going to spend four minutes on the, you know, the... <laughs> <laughs> climax and resolution of how everything goes down and then everybody you know moves on and does their own thing at the end and i just feel like sometimes we don't give enough attention at least in length and and everything to you know the action scenes and things like that that's that's just that's my opinion and to me that's some of the areas where these episodes suffer not not in a storytelling sense but just in sometimes you just don't feel like you get enough you know gotcha gotcha uh, i think these are two of the most important episodes yet this season obviously uh the first story arc with davros was big and important and it had that big bang that big action you know impending doom mm-hmm. you know sort of hammer home the the peril of of this uh situation uh with the doctor and then we had sort of a a nice little transitional story arc that we got with the the ghosts and the right uh 
Fisher King. And this is where we slow down. And and, and the last two stories, uh, the last two episodes, you know, sort of started to peel back the the layers on Clara. These two episodes were more of a character piece for the Doctor himself. Right. And had more implications on his character. Uh, and the action was almost, well, not was almost, it was secondary to the Doctor's character development for this season and his interactions with Maisie Williams' character. Um, initially a shield earth, then Lady Me. So... I really enjoyed them for what they did for his character. I do agree. I think some of the the action sequences were a little rushed and a little underwhelming, a little under underused. Um, yeah, that would but, be a good way to say it. But they weren't the focus of the episodes to begin with. Right. Um, so you can sort of see and understand why they didn't get the attention that some of the other parts did. All right, let's let's dive into these episodes in detail. Clara and the Doctor, after, you know, getting out of a jam to kick off the episode, they, they like doing this. They like, you know, yeah. coming in at the wrap-up of a dangerous situation <laughs> and sort of ending it. And then starting a new story. See, uh, then then they, they leave you wondering what happened before this. I want to see the story that happened before this, you know. Right, right. And they don't and, ever tell you. No, no. <laughs> see, they what it does is it leaves things open for other stories. And it's like, see, time has <laughs> passed between this episode and the last episode. And other things have happened. And we only sort of check in with them every so often. <laughs> but they end up landing on Earth... Uh, in oh goodness I forget what year it is it's like ten something does it tell me here on the TARDIS wiki um, Earth in the ninth century so that's ten something yes I I mean I was no exact year anyways early in the ninth century um, and they are captured immediately by Vikings. And, of course, the Doctor likes to gloat that, hey, I've got more technology on my face than you will ever see in 900, than this planet will ever see in 900 years or whatever it was. And the Viking takes off his sonic sunglasses, sonic shades, and breaks them in half. Right in front of him. And at first I thought this was the last we were going to see of those. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. But it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of... I kind of wondered if they would let them go that quickly. It seemed a little bit early mm. to me that they would get rid of them that quickly, but I was kind of hoping. Not not because they're stupid or anything like that. It's just I'm not comfortable with them right now. You know, I might mm-hmm. be two seasons from now if they're still around, God forbid. At this point, I'm just not comfortable with them. You know? Right. They're, they're not like an old pair of shoes, like this screwdriver. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, of course, it doesn't work, and the Doctor and Clara are taken back to the village. Uh, and the, the raiding party is met by this girl named a shielder. She ends up with the captured piece of the Doctor's sonic shades, 
Um, <laughs> and the doctor sort of looks at her very intently, and Clara says, you know her? No, I don't. And I like his little explanation about premonitions. He says, this yeah. is remembering in the wrong order. <laughs> or something to that effect. Uh he, he feels like there's something important about a shielder, and he can't quite figure it out yet. But, of course, the Doctor tries to play off this whole thing. Like, oh, I'm Odin in human form! And <laughs> he pulls out the yo-yo to try and... And Clara's like, don't do the yo-yo. That, that, was, that was straight out of Baker. Yep. I swear it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tom, Tom Baker loved his yo-yo. Although he used it for... Gravity readings uh, more than anything else. Not for trying to fool <laughs> primitive Vikings. Funny. Which they weren't fooled. <laughs> but before the doctor can work himself into too much of a hole, this giant face of an Odin-ish looking person appears in the sky above them and, and declares that only the best warriors from the village will dine with him in Valhalla. And then these giant mechanical alien warriors appear and transport a whole bunch of the the, the village's entire complement of warriors, basically, out of the village. They're gone. And These things almost look like big, boxy versions of Iron Man or something. Something you know? like that. Uh, with one slit across the eye hole, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to look through. Right. Uh, of course, you know, the doctor's trying to back away, not get noticed, so that they don't, so that he and Clara don't get taken. And Clara's like, no, 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 we gotta help save them. And the doctor's like, don't, stop, stop. But she, she being Clara, goes to find a shielder and tells her to use the sonic shades to unlock her chains. This, of course, gets the attention of these mechanical soldiers and the two young women are transported as well. Okay. This is where I have to say. <laughs> I feel like this particular episode, that Clara was used more as an instrument to move the story forward than she was an actual character so much in the story. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it, it's it, it's almost like we're just going to put her in the right place at the right time just so that we can make sure that the story continues to push forward, you know. And I, I don't know. I, I just didn't feel like we got quite as much character depth from her this episode as what we've gotten in the past. Right, and, and she's hardly in... Uh, the woman who lived at all. She only comes right. in for the last like two, three minutes. And so, yeah, I I, I can see where, where you're coming from there. She has a couple of great good conversations with the Doctor because throughout this first episode, The Girl Who Died, the two of them are talking about the Doctor trying to avoid making tidal waves and just making ripples as mm-hmm. he travels and does things through time and space. And he's really trying to avoid the tidal waves because Because we've already learned that he's had issues with that in the past we talked about that on our last episode yeah (laughs) sea waters of mars um (laughs) yeah yeah let's not talk about that (laughs) 
Halloween is even closer than when we actually recorded that episode. Which is really fun to think about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bigger horror fan than Jason is, so... That is that is true. Um, <laughs> Clara and a shielder find themselves on a spaceship with the rest of the warriors from the village. There is a hallway that if you stand in the hallway too long, it starts zapping you to dust, uh, basically. And but did they did they specify if it killed people or if it teleported people? Did they say? No, that killed them. Okay. Once they were on the spaceship, they were all the the rest of the warriors die. Um are basically incinerated to provide this At, little atom, atomized yes atomized yes. incinerated something <laughs> to provide to, to create this uh, testosterone juice yeah that for was... the leader of mm. this a- alien I'm sorry just thinking about that seems very unappealing to me very unappetizing to me yeah and he takes this thing and, and drinks it squeezes it like an egg and just you know uh, I'm thinking this that can't taste good nectar (laughs) I don't know what kind of nectar Uh, you're drinking (laughs) adrenaline and testosterone is what what he said he was was getting out of it yeah yeah um weird Kalara is able to keep a shielder alive and about talks herself out of danger to talk uh, she and a shielder back to the village and get the aliens out of there. She's almost to that point where they've reached <laughs> this agreement. And then a shielder sh- opens her mouth and cashes a bigger, or no, writes a bigger check than her butt can cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she basically declares war on the fake Odin and his soldiers. <laughs> Of course, it's kind of hard to do that when all your warriors are dead. She so, clearly wasn't thinking when she did this. <laughs> no. Clara and a shielder are are teleported back to the village, and the fake Odin declares that they will be back the next day for battle. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, what he says, he gives them 24 hours, right? Something like that. I don't remember if it's exactly 24, but it's like at dawn tomorrow or something to that effect. Maybe it was noon. I don't recall. Says something about it being the honorable thing and that he would give them 24 hours uh, to uh, prepare prepare before they wipe them off the face of the planet. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's always fun, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Of course, the doctor has been doing his research in his 2,000-year diary while Clara and Shilder have been gone, and discovers that these aliens are called the Meyer, who usually leave others alone if they get they want, what they want, uh, but they're a deadly warrior race like the Santarans. And he's like, great, they'll be gone, they got what they want, they'll, be, they'll leave us alone and everything's safe, and Clara's like, not quite. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> There's been a hiccup. <laughs> we have a problem. And as the village discusses their situation, the doctor says, you just run. Um, he basically says that there, there's no um, shame in running to save their lives because they have no warriors left. The, it's funny because during this scene, the doctor starts translating for a baby that's crying in the distance. And we get this 
this thing where they pick up the thread that the doctor can uh, speak baby. Um, of course, well, that was done the, back Direct in... callback to, to Stormageddon, you know. Yes, to Stormageddon, Dark Lord of All. Um, <laughs> they should really Alfie. follow up on that at some point. Yes, <laughs> or, or Alfie, you know, to his parents. Um, <laughs> and it's this baby crying after he's decided to basically give up on the whole situation, let the, let the circumstances run its course because the world is safe. It's just the village. And he, um, he was basically going to pull a first doctor on this situation, you know, first doctor, first season, uh, let them fend for themselves. If they won't listen to my advice, I'll leave and they can just, let what happens to them happen to them, you know? Right. But the baby starts crying again, and he sort of starts translating because he says the baby can sense danger. Mm-hmm. And Clara sort of talks him off this ledge, basically, of him just leaving them. And she knows he's made the decision to stay when the baby stops crying. When he starts talking about what the baby's saying, it's very deep moment. It you know, it's very, very somber. You know, it's not, it, it, you know, in the past it was used for, you know, comedic purposes and things like that. This was not in any way comedic or anything. This was very clearly, you know, something that he was taking very seriously is something very important. And this, you know, it, it looked like that you could almost see the switch flip in him to where he went from being this person that says I can't get involved which is what he did before in Waters of Mars I can't get involved to being the person that says I have to get involved but I I like the fact that he still tried to figure out a way to get involved that was less invasive Le- much less likely to alter major events, you know. And so we get this nice little Seven Samurai montage uh, where the doctor is trying to train <laughs> the villagers um, how to fight. And he doesn't care about any of their names because uh, it's a waste of time learning them. And so he gives them all nicknames like Lofty and Chuckles and Limpy. Lim- yeah, Hasten. Heidi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> things things of that nature. And it, it was really funny because, you know, one of the guys asks him, he says, why don't we get to practice with real swords? And he says, Limpy, would you like to answer that question? And Limpy's over there bandaging his leg where somebody's already cut his leg with a sword. Right. <laughs> right. And this... Seven Samurai training montage is basically for all comedic effect to just show the futility of what the doctor is trying to do here uh, because it doesn't work. There's one, uh, I forget which Viking, who completely just faints at the sight of any blood or the mention of any sort of violence. Um, I think that's the one he calls Heidi. Might be. It might be. <laughs> and, and none of them are at any in any way coordinated at all when it comes to fighting and no one in the village has actually 
picked up a sword in battle, except he and Clara, apparently, um, which surprised him. Well, they're the only ones that were left were the farming clan, you know. Right. The doctor that evening is trying to figure out if there's any possible way to actually come out on top with this and ends up finding a shielder taking down the false Odin who she has created out of a, you know, created a puppet out of with, you know, various pieces of armor, armor and, you know, stuff sacks and that sort of thing. And he starts talking about, well, yes, you know, if you create the right story, you think you can save them and that, that sort of thing. Cause she's a storyteller of sorts. Right. And then he hears the baby crying again. And it's actually Lofty's baby, and Lofty's the blacksmith. And Lofty takes the baby to where the fish are at, where they keep the fish. Mm -hmm. The fish, of course, being electric eels. (laughs) The doctor gets a brilliant idea. Yeah. And his heart grew three sizes that day. No. um, (laughs) Both of them. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Both of them. Both of them. Um, no, his, he gets a brilliant idea, and they spend the night putting together this plan. And, of course, the next day, the Meyer are back, and the Doctor and the villagers are throwing a party and not actually going to fight, or so they say. <laughs> Using bits of metal and wire from... Uh, Clara's spacesuit she'd been wearing most of the time. Was that not the same spacesuit that they got all the way back with David Tennant? Yes, it was. In the Satan Pit? Yep. That's that so, is It's so cool that they've still carried that on all the way through. We'll see if it <laughs> returns because they basically took it all apart for this, so I don't know. Well, he had more than one, so. That's true. The doctor and the villagers basically trick the mire by using bits of metal and wire, uh, hacking and and the electric eels, right? Uh, stealing a helmet and magnets that they've you know because they've created an electromagnet out of the eel generated electricity and a pair of anvils. Um, <laughs> Which they, I thought was really cool. Yes. They <laughs> steal a Meyer soldier helmet, hack into their view screens, and basically use a really horrible puppet, or rubbish puppet, as <laughs> Clara said, to serve as the basis for a horrible sea monster that a shielder uses the helmet to create because she's the storyteller and so they push in this puppet but all the Meyer see is this giant vicious angry sea monster and they retreat uh, leaving the leader by himself uh, and the image fades he sees what it really is oh but by the way um, the Vikings have been using Clara's iPhone to record the whole thing. <laughs> they added the Benny Hill music and the doctor threatens to send it to the entire galaxy. He says he's going to send it. I can't remember exactly what the term he uses is, but it's basically the the 
uh, galactic equivalent or the intergalactic equivalent of YouTube. Yes. <laughs> yes. And ruin <laughs> the Myers reputation if they don't oh, leave yeah. peacefully. And man, these guys are ugly. Oh. oh, they are so nasty looking. They are ugly. They're they're basically all teeth. Yep, you know? teeth and purple and yellow skin. <laughs> they almost look like eyeless frogs with like a three three times too big mouth with teeth that are so big that can barely close it. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's a complete circle of teeth. Yeah, it's not, not attractive. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, not at um, all. <laughs> right? <laughs> they have a face only a mother could love. <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> I bet they get abandoned by their mothers. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Which is why they're so angry looking. Um, <laughs> the Meyer then decide that discretion is the better part of valor and leave peacefully. Unfortunately using the helmet basically drained the life out of a shielder and she is dead the one casualty of this conflict um at least of this day um well apparently the reason why the image faded is because she was no longer able to you know imagine it sustain it yeah and so uh, at that point the doctor had not even realized exactly what it was doing to her which course then he blames himself for not realizing that this could happen that it drained her like a battery yeah and then we start getting into some of the really interesting part of this first episode he goes back out to the barn and you know to brood about this and to sort of settle himself down clara follows him out there and he he talks about how he's tired of losing people and then a light bulb goes off. And it's about something that was briefly mentioned way back in Deep Breath, his first episode. And at like once or maybe twice since then. And it's about his face. Right. The doctor remembers why he chose the face. Do you want to get into this? Yeah, uh, we get to see um, a brief glimpse of the Doctor and Donna in Pompeii. And when the Doctor was planning on leaving and just allowing them to, you know, just suffer their fate because he said that this was the way it had to be, that this was a fixed point in time and that he couldn't change it. And Donna begged him she said i look please just save somebody you don't have to save everybody but please just save somebody then you see him open the tardis door and reach out and offer to, to save this one family yeah um the the family of course that uh peter capaldi was playing the father of right back in that episode so and of course this goes back to the the rumors that we talked about before the season started uh where you know the rumors were that that david Tennant uh was coming back to film some more footage from the pompeii 
storyline and everything. And come to find out, according to the news article that came out today, that the truth was that uh, we're having Tenet's Doctor and Donna in three Big Finish audio episodes. Yes. Or, or stories, I should say, that are coming out uh, in a box set together. So and... there was no validity to that at all. Yeah, and that the appearance of David Tennant and uh, Donna Noble in this season was limited to flashbacks. But right, it was pre-existing footage. Yeah, but a powerful flashback. Right, because he remembers that he chose this face to remind him to save people. Because you know, th- and this is where we get that line from the trailers. You know, I'm the Doctor. And I save people. Mm-hmm. And then he's... So, and when he you turn- hear it in context, it doesn't sound nearly as contrived as what it sounded like in the trailer. You know, Right, right. He's, you know... He is incredibly passionate about this, and he's taken over by, you know, his desire to, to right this wrong. And he, you know, basically looks to the sky and says, if there's anyone watching who disagrees, to hell with you. And he yeah. dashes out of the barn. And basically, my my interpretation is he's talking to the Time Lords. Right. You know, he's like, you know, if you disagree about my actions here, I don't care. You know, you can't change this. You, you can't stop me from doing this. And once again, he's ready to cross that line that he crossed before uh, that didn't turn out so well. Right. You know. Right. And he takes a chip... Basically, it's like a med chip from the Meyer soldier helmet. Mm-hmm. And he converts it to work on humans. And it basically repairs a shielder so much that it brings her back to life. Right. Problem being is that barring accident or any sort of horrible occurrence... It will keep repairing her for eternity, making her essentially immortal. And then he he tosses another, a second one of these chips her way for whoever she decides to spend the rest of her life with, you know, whoever she chooses, you know. Right. Uh, Now, I will say this... um... We can look at this and we can be critical if we want to of the doctor and say, well, he's already made a mistake like this once with, you know, the the Waters of Mars story or whatever. But what we've got to take into account with this is something that has been addressed either directly or indirectly throughout both of these episodes. And that is the fact that a, a brain can only store so much memory enough time goes by and you're going to forget things which is the reason why the doctor keeps the 2000 year diary is because even he with all of his intellect and everything can't remember everything so matt smith was the man who forgets right and and the thing about it is we saw a huge period of time go by just with matt smith's doctor you know, mm-hmm. uh, that we, a lot of which we didn't even get to see, you know, it was, you know, we, we jumped forward a lot and I think we saw what 
350 years maybe go by, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, in the span that Matt Smith's doctor. He's going to have forgotten a lot in that time frame, and it's very likely that he could have have forgotten some of the decisions that he made back when he was in the form of David Tennant. I don't think so. Um, I, I think he has the ability to recall things mm-hmm. if something is said or done. Obviously, it takes a while sometimes because we see him, you know, try struggle to remember things from time to time, mm-hmm. and, but eventually he does. But this thing that we're talking about with David Tennant in the Waters of Mars, where he basically decides to rewrite history, right, is some is a big enough uh, occurrence that I don't think he's forgotten that. Now, the difference between that situation and the one in this episode is that David Tennant was changing a fixed point in history. Right. It was something that was supposed to happen so that, you know, the human race would be then inspired to go back out to the stars and the the astronaut's granddaughter would lead the charge. With a shielder, it was not a fixed point. This was something where he would make a difference. He would make a change. Right. But going back to what we were talking about earlier, the idea is at the time he doesn't want to think about whether or not he's making a ripple or a tidal wave. Well, I wasn't referring to him forgetting the events. I was referring to him forgetting the reasons why he made certain decisions Mm -hmm. and just what his mindset was when he made those decisions. That's, that's what I was referring to because in his mind, even though he realized he made a mistake when he initially made the decision, he thought he was doing it for the right reason, you know, with David Tennant. Yes. And I don't know. And, you know, then he realized after the fact that he had overstepped and with this, it was almost like he had gotten to that point again and said, I don't care if I'm overstepping, I'm going to do this anyway. Well, there's also another difference. Um, I think in that, the reason why David Tennant made that choice was a selfish one. He was tired of meeting, finding situations where he couldn't change anything, and so he was going to make a change because the universe owed him. And in this case, Peter Capaldi, his doctor, just wants to make a difference for a shielder. Right. And yes, it, he, he mentions afterwards that he was, you know incredibly emotional and he thinks it may have been a mistake to right. ultimately make that decision but this is a less of a of a selfish decision and more of I need to do this for the sake of my own right. soul basically you know right. this is you know I need to do this for her so that my conscience is clean you know, because he, he did get that reminder, like we said, just, you know, just before this right. of why he got that face. And so there's differences, even though we kind of get similar results. Right. There's there's differences and similarities. I just feel like that because of the emotional state that he's in, which is similar to the emotional state he was in in the other scenario, mm-hmm. just not under quite as intense of circumstances, obviously, you know, I feel like that 
he he is at a point where he almost doesn't care what the result's going to be as long as it comes out to the good for her. Right. You know, that's what I'm right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And at um, the end of the episode, after he leaves a shielder, he does question whether or not he made a mistake. You know, he he's concerned that what he did may have been, you know, done irrationally and may ultimately lead to problems. And Clara says, well, it'll be fine because what what he did was you know, done out of good intentions. Mm-hmm. And she said she seems to think everything will be fine. And then we get this really interesting shot of Maisie Williams, you know, as a shielder smiling and the camera does this slow 360 pan all the way around her while the background, you know, changes rapidly right. as if it's going, you know, as if a lot of time is progressing. And by the time the camera gets all the way back around to her face, she's no longer smiling. She's angry, and there's definite hurt right. and pain in her eyes. And that's how the episode ended. And see, this is where I would say that, at least for me, I'm thinking in this scenario, while I'm watching the doctor talk to Clara about I might have made a mistake, I'm thinking he's thinking about Jack. Mm. You know, that's that's what's going through my mind is he, he's thinking, I just created another Jack. Right. You know, and that may or may not be a good thing. You know, that's what he's thinking, at least in my opinion. You know, if you'll remember going all the way back, he really felt uncomfortable about Jack even existing. Right. Um, after the events uh, uh, with Bad Wolf. I think the fact that he made this decision shows that he has had to come to terms with that over time to say that this is not necessarily something that I think is natural, but it's not necessarily something that's bad as long as it's used in the right way. But if, if you remember, he con- continually uh, fixed it. Every time he would run into Jack, he would fix it so that Jack couldn't leave Earth. <laughs> and <laughs> Jack couldn't travel in time. And Jack was stuck, you know. Right. And Jack would have to figure out another way to travel in time or, or to, to leave Earth, you know. So he... he tried to keep a controlled environment for Jack because he wanted to make sure that he couldn't cause too much of a tidal wave, I guess you'd say. Right. (laughs) Right. And I I think that's the reason why he left uh, a shielder the way that he did. Most probably. Well, we'll we'll dig a little bit more into this because (laughs) the next episode... He runs into a shielder in England in 1651. Uh, so it's been a long time. She says about 800 years have passed, which I'm not sure the math is quite right there. But what was the year again? Uh, 1651. Yeah. So mm. 800 years may be a little bit much, um, unless they probably closer to seven but 
<laughs> the doctor is going on an adventure without Clara. He's trying to track some sort of alien artifact in 1651 England. He's got this little contraption that he's, you know, wandering around in the dark end. And runs across a highwayman making a robbery on a stagecoach. Uh, well, not a stagecoach, but a, a, a carriage. Carriage. Uh, a very expensive carriage, it looks like. Um, <laughs> and the the highwayman doing the robbing is known as the Nightmare. And the doctor just sort of, like, bumbles his way into the middle of the, the robbery because whatever it is he's tracking, and he's not entirely sure what it is, is on this carriage. And he gets into an argument with the Nightmare about whose robbery it is, and the Nightmare starts getting angry because he's not listening. The Doctor's not listening because the Nightmare is threatening him about, you know, you should stay away, you know, this is mine, or I'll blow your brains out. He goes, sorry, were you talking? I wasn't paying attention. And he says, I will try to listen this time. And she repeats it, and he goes, I'm sorry, I said I would listen, but I wasn't. You know, um... (laughs) See, that reminded me a lot of Tom Baker right there. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the line of he says, there's someone who usually hits me on the head about now, but she's busy with taekwondo class. Um, <laughs> and the two uh, robbers, basically, the doctor and uh, the nightmare, end up at the back of the carriage arguing while trying to figure out how to get into this uh, this chest that is on the back of the carriage. Uh, of course, they get too distracted arguing, and the coachman takes off. And <laughs> no, no, so... no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the two are left standing in the middle of the road in the dark, without what they came for. <laughs> and suddenly, the nightmare's voice changes to someone that's more recognizable. Yes. And she reveals. Her herself to be a shielder. <laughs> and this is where we get the line of what took you so long, old man? Exactly. <laughs> and we get the idea that the doctor, you know, through the conversation the conversation that ensues here, we get the idea that the doctor has checked in on a shielder from time to time, but this time was completely coincidence. Yeah, she gets a little bit angry when she finds out that he was watching her in the time period where she was working in a leper colony. Mm-hmm. And she's like, so you just left me there in a leper colony, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, then he has this look on his face like, what, did I do something wrong? You know? <laughs> right. And we start getting an idea of what has happened to her in this time that has passed. And she no longer goes by the name of Shielder because she's forgotten it. She says uh, it's no longer important. It's no longer important. And any name that she's had has died with the people who knew it. Mm-hmm. And so she calls herself Me. Lady Me is what she goes by. Because she is her own constant companion. And she's very cynical about humans now because they're like smoke and they blow away in an instant and, you know, their lives mean just about nothing 
because they're here for such a short amount of time and she has outlasted them all. She has drastically distanced herself from anything that would make her care about human life. As Shielder, well, Lady Me, says that she will help the doctor recover what he is looking for, but she needs to go do something first. And so she leaves him at her house where all of her diaries are. And she reads them from time to time out of curiosity because she has forgotten. Because, mm -hmm. as you alluded to earlier, when one has a normal memory span, normal human memory span, living all those centuries, she doesn't have the memory capacity, basically, right. for all of her life. She can, she can hold on to pieces of it, but she couldn't hold on to everything. Right. Uh, and the doctor in his time left at her house starts reading some of her diaries and you know, finds out that uh, she helped cure a village of scarlet fever but was drowned was, was attempted to be drowned by as a witch by the right. people and he learns that she's had at least a, one marriage if not multiple marriages she was a queen at one point but right. faked her own death when questions about her a not aging started to arise right and then uh dashed out of the coffin before they incinerated it um she's left at least one lover when he asked why she didn't age yes oh. at least one and then during during the plague uh she had three children who died of the plague and uh she has kept this section part of the section of that tragedy in her journal to remind herself to never have children again because she does she will not face that pain again she's really sad you she's know really sad yeah and a whole section of that tale is ripped out of her journal ripped out of her diary because she chooses never to remember that again but she keeps the part about her children just so she doesn't right. face that pain again. It's messed um, up. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw something today um, about uh, the intention with this character. Um, uh, Stephen Moffat was talking about the fact that uh, they had already had Captain Jack in the past and they had, had, had played with the idea of having that character who could transcend time and you know travel to different points in time and space and things like that and never age you know but still be human for most intents and purposes but he said that what actually happened was that jack was changed into something else he was not human anymore uh so stephen moffat did say that in an interview uh, so we do know that Jack's not human, but he said what he wanted to do with this was he wanted to have similar type of character, but he wanted to, to treat that character differently. He wanted to find out, you know, in his uh, storytelling, he wanted to find out what it would be like to have a character who traveled through time the slow way, is what he mm -hmm. said. He, he wanted to find out just what that character would go through if they lived century after century after century, you know, and experienced everything 
in a linear format and, and, it, and lived life after life after life, you know, ha having to, to deal with all of the, the triumphs and the losses and the, you know, everything that somebody would go through and not being able to die, you know, and he said that's the, the inspiration for creating this character in the first place. She does ask repeatedly uh, for the doctor to take her with him. Mm -hmm. And he keeps saying no. Uh, you know, at one point saying it wouldn't be good. and You don't want to keep company with yourself, you know, or in this case, someone who's too similar to you. And she is very angry about this. She does not mm -hmm. understand why the doctor will not take her with, with him. And end this slow march through time for her. And he doesn't answer at first. And we get that answer later. But the the, the deep conversations uh, get broken up a little bit. And we have a nice fun little scene where they break into the, fun, the, the Fanshawe estate to uh, find their prize. The Eye of Hades, which is this, uh, this alien artifact. A purple glowing jewel. And they're not entirely sure what it's all about yet. Um, at least the doctor isn't. Now, they find it. And they're on their way out when things start getting a little sticky. <laughs> and there's, you know, some fun, you know, little heist visual yeah. humor. They, uh, they almost seem like a couple of kids, you know? <laughs> I mean, almost like something you'd see out of Goonies or something, you know? <laughs> and, and I thought that was so fun. It, you know, we get to see the doctor who looks like he's in his fifties, but he's sneaking around and, and, you know, tiptoeing, you know, almost like an episode of Scooby-Doo or something, you know, and, and, <laughs> or home alone. Yeah. I mean, it was really funny, you know, really, really fun to watch that, you know, because they really did. They looked like a couple of kids trying to get away with, you know, sneaking into the cookie jar or something, you know, it was really, right. really fun to watch. Right, and they end up escaping by climbing up the chimney and slipping off the outside of the house. After uh, the doctor convinces her not to kill to make their escape. Um, they're then on their way back to her estate as Lady Me, uh, where she has amassed quite a great fortune um, for herself um, throughout the, the centuries. And they are waylaid by a fellow highwayman named Sam Swift the Quick. I actually you know. like this character. Oh, I like him a lot. He's a great character. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's he's the swashbuckling highwayman who's very... Who, who looks at the romantic side of his chosen career and is very content and happy with the way that his life has gone and, and the the place he has found in it and considers himself to be the nightmare's rival, you know, which she doesn't really dignify. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, there's a, a brief confrontation and the doctor and the nightmare, uh, a shielder, are able to continue on their way, leaving Sam Swift the quick uh, licking his wounds. <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of character 
that I would like to see come back. Mm-hmm. You know, because, well, I'll be honest with you. I think that it would be interesting to see how that character evolved over time. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there <laughs> with, with him. Um, <laughs> I, he, he reminded me a little bit of his interaction with Maisie Williams reminded me a bit of the, of the interaction between the doctor and Robin hood. Yeah. From last a lot. season, which I really enjoyed. Um, the, the robot of Sherwood is still one of my favorite episodes of Peter Capaldi's run. So, but they make it back to Lady Me's mansion, and a shielder begins to reveal what she's really up to, because she's been playing the Doctor, and she's got this um, associate, shall we say, who is not entirely of this world. Actually, not at all of this world, right. to be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, he looks a bit like the Cowardly Lion's angry older brother. Um, <laughs> I was, and his name wasn't is... not going to go that far with it. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it looks to be almost the exact same makeup technique, to be perfectly honest. Um, I was going to say that he reminded me more of the Beast from the uh, 1980s Beauty and the Beast TV show. Oh, Ron, Ron Perlman, you know. Nice. Nice grab. Um, <laughs> and, but the, this fire-breathing lion alien thing uh, is named Leandro. And apparently the Eye of Hades, this uh, alien jewel, is able to open a portal to, between two different time and space dimensions, basically. It's sort of like uh, a... It's a bit like a teleport, but uh, it, it's something that you jump through, basically. Uh, it cracks open a portal in time and space, and you go through it, and that sort of thing. And that's how Leandro ended up on Earth. And he lost the jewel when he crash-landed. And he and Lady Me have been trying to get it back. And Lady Me is determined that Leandro will take her across the galaxy now. She will be able to leave Earth with him as he tries to make it back to his people. Uh, and the Doctor warns her that Leandro is uh, not someone to trust. Now, the unfortunate side effect of this portal opening gem is that in order for it to work it has to be fueled by someone's death yeah that's kind of weird actually Um, yeah initially they consider using well that's why that's why they call it the eye of hades right so because it opens up a portal to the afterlife is is the uh, idea but uh, initially they they consider using a shielder's aged butler but then a couple of guards blunder in uh, town guards blunder in and inform lady me that sam swift the quick has been captured and shall be hanged uh shortly and 
she decides to change her mind, and they're going to use a guilty man to power the gem now. Well, she figures if he's going to die anyway, why not go ahead and, and use his death, you know, because that way she didn't have anything to do with it. Right. Uh, she then orders the guards to guard the doctor um, so that he does not interfere. Of course, he, as being the doctor, talks his way out of it, uh, <laughs> basically buying them off with Lady Me's own money. <laughs> and he rushes to catch up and try and stop this, what will happen, because he doesn't think it will end well. Meanwhile, we get to where the noose is, and uh, Sam Swift, the quick, is trying to prolong his hanging with gallows humor. And so he's making jokes and basically doing a stand-up routine. Yes, the first stand-up comedian. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which the actor, I believe, has done stand-up before. And so far, he's been doing okay. He's he's managed to, to stall the crowd long enough and keep them entertained long enough that no one has called for his neck yet. But of course, a shielder and Leandro arrive, and Leandro is, grows impatient, and he starts stirring up the crowd against Sam Swift the Quick. The doctor shows up, and uh, just as Sam is running out of jokes, and so Sam Swift starts using the doctor as the butt of his jokes in order to keep his uh, neck from being squeezed. Which was really, uh, really fun to watch. It was, it that. was. And the doctor plays along and actually helps him out. But the time has come, and he asks for one final request, and that is one final kiss, and he gets it from Lady Me. And as she gives him this kiss, she then places that ever-so-lovely Eye of Hades on his chest, and he starts to die, and the portal starts to open. And this is where we start getting... Oh, we forgot. Action piece. We forgot the psychic paper. We did. The doctor pulled out the psychic paper to show them that uh, he had been pardoned. Oh, that's right. And so he was going to get away until yes. until she did this. That's true. That's true. The doctor <laughs> was the doctor was going to pardon Sam Swift, uh, but. Uh, Lady Me and Leandro had other ideas. Right. And unfortunately, this portal starts to open. Leandro reveals himself and starts racing through the crowd, causing mass panic and terror. Oh, and uh, his people start firing rockets, basically, through the portal to clear the way for their entrance into this world to conquer. And, of course, Leandro reveals that he's just been using a shielder the whole time. Right. And that she won't be going anywhere. Um, See, this is where I thought that there was too much of an abbreviated action scene. Um, I felt like that even if they had extended it out a couple of minutes, you know, just two minutes longer, it would have seemed like it was so much more balanced in the story because it just felt like everything happened so fast at this point. Right. Maybe even a couple of, of, of his uh, people, of, of Leandro's people getting through and helping to stir up even more trouble would have... Right. Would have been 
um, appropriate would have been called for. But um, what we basically saw was ships way off in the distance, and they were firing through the portal, you know, trying to kill everybody. Um, and Leandro running around, breathing fire and right. you know, roaring and scaring people. I would have thought I would have thought that it would have been much more interesting to have seen multiples of his race. Yeah, it you know even if they just three or four of them teleported through or something, you know, mm-hmm. it was very short, but during this brief bit of carnage, a shielder realizes that she does care, and that these people, these humans, do matter to her, and that she does not want to see this destruction, and so she and the doctor use the second Meyer soldier med kit that he left with her that she has not used yet because no one was good enough to heal Sam Swift. Right. And that closes the portal, but not before Leandro's people punish him failure by vaporizing him (laughs) Uh, and so the lion is is completely uh, torched Sam Swift is alive and the eye of Hades is deactivated and earth remains safe in 1651 (laughs) the doctor and shielder join Sam Swift at a pub as he celebrates his return to life and his pardon and uh, he basically takes every advantage that he can to enjoy the fact that he is still alive and the doctor points this out to a shielder because the two of them being near immortal and living for so long forget how precious life is and he calls humans the mayflies you know the people with shorter lifespans the mayflies because they know they know how important life is they know it's fleeting and they take every advantage to enjoy what they have and celebrate the the good times like that and he finally admits to her why he won't take her with him it's because they think too much alike and if the two of them travel together then he will forget to celebrate the good times, which is why he travels with people like Clara and, uh, you know, other humans with limited lifespans. It's like he feels like that there will be nobody to keep him in check. Right. You know, and we saw that a lot um, uh, with Donna. Uh, even, you know, we saw, like in the episode Wrong Turn, or Left Turn, rather, um, mm-hmm. where we got to see... These are the events that would have happened had Donna not had been there to help keep the doctor in check, you know. Right. Because sometimes he, even he needs a, a separate conscience to help keep him pointed in the right direction. Right. And essentially, a shielder reclaims that name of one, but decides to basically become the patron saint of the doctor's leftovers to look after 
the people that he leaves behind when he flies away in his TARDIS. This is the point also where he tells her about Captain Jack. Yes, that he met another immortal once and that, oh, don't worry, he'll get to you eventually. Yeah, he, um, he basically tells her that they will meet at some point in time, which I think would be really interesting to see on screen. Uh, <laughs> that would be funny. You know, maybe next season? You know, because Capaldi said that he would be open to bring Captain Jack back. So that would be nice well, to see. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> there are many people out there that would be very happy to see Captain Jack back. Captain Jack back. Um, <laughs> anyway. The crazy thing is it's been 10 years and he still looks the same. You know? <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> John Barrowman has not changed a bit. He has not um, aged at all. Nope. <laughs> nope. And so they part as friends, uh, as Shielder and the Doctor do. But the Doctor is still sombered by the fact that he's basically created her and caused her so much pain throughout her life. And feels a bit bad, I think, for the fact that she's going to basically live the rest of her life tracking down the people that are left over from his good intentions. Right. Uh, I think she wants to make sure that some of those people don't end up in the same mental state that she was where, mm -hmm. where, where they just go negative and they can't come out of it, you know? Um, right. I, I, I feel like that, 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 that is one of her missions at this point is to make sure that, that they continue life in a positive manner once he has, left and they are all alone and we get sort of a brief glimpse of that because the final scene of this two-parter is back on the TARDIS and the doctor is deep in thought just sort of plucking away at his guitar which is plugged into the TARDIS um, <laughs> and uh, you know somberly plucking away and Clara emerges, and she comes back inside and is ready to go and tells him about this girl that he helped with a, a school project about a, you know, pretend interview of Winston Churchill, although the doctor really cheated on that, implying that he actually took her back to interview Winston Churchill. Um... <laughs> But, but this girl sent him a, a present, a selfie, uh, in thanks, basically, mm -hmm. uh, taken out of the grade that she got, which was a, which was a good one. And the doctor takes a, you know, takes Clara's phone and looks at the picture, you know, after feigning indifference, <laughs> pretending um, that he doesn't care one way or the other. Right, right. You know, <laughs> I don't want that. You know, a Ferrari, a Ferrari would be a nice present. That's not a good present, you know, um, <laughs> And so she <laughs> pretends to take it away from him, and he goes, all right, fine, fine, let me look. Uh, and he takes a look at the picture and notices something or someone in the background, in the corner. He zooms in, and there she is. Peeking between the bars of a fence. Yep. A shielder is looking, keeping an eye on Clara from outside of, I'm guessing, the schoolyard mm -hmm. is where this is. Um, See, I find this intriguing uh, to think about. Um, you know, you have Clara who 
got scattered throughout the Doctor's time stream. So she was going through time, keeping an eye on the Doctor. Mm -hmm. And now you have a shielder who is basically, essentially going through time, keeping an eye on the companions. Right. And, of course, she can't travel back and forth in time or whatever, but, you know, it makes you wonder just how many companions she actually... You know, ran into. You know, did she run into Jamie? Did she run into, you know, the Brigadier? You know, mm-hmm. how many of those companions did she run into that we've never heard about or seen the the encounters with? Right. I just find that intriguing. It's it, oh, it, it in- would make in- for some interesting books. Incredibly intriguing. <laughs> I would like that. I would like that. I have a feeling a shielder will be appearing. In a big finish audio story Probably. sometime in the near future. <laughs> uh, I have this feeling. Um, <laughs> uh, and see, she does does she or does she not know about all the Doctor's different faces? And I get the idea that she's figured that out mm-hmm. because of the waves he's created, the ripples and the tidal waves of which she is now one. <laughs> um, that he has created. That she's probably figured out by now that he's got multiple faces, and yet he's still the same doctor. Of course, the the scene ends with the doctor giving Clara a choice of where they're going to go. She says, somewhere new and magical. He says, there's nowhere new, there's nothing new under the sun. So we'll check above it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, you know good daft old man because I'm not going anywhere and gives him a hug he just looks at her sadly and they take off see I when, when I watched that I kind of got the impression that he got another premonition yeah uh, because you know I got the same kind of feeling when Amy and Rory left uh, with Matt Smith you know I, for several episodes prior to that I, I got this this feeling, this tone, you know, this emotional baggage, if you will, from Matt Smith, as if he knew that it was going to happen. You know? Right. Um, and, I mean, the Doctor's obviously just been through a lot of discussion and, and had to face the fact that all his companions will either leave him or die eventually, <laughs> and that their lives compared to his are just a blip on the scanner. You know, it, it's... In the long scheme of things, they really aren't that big uh, oh, of a blip. did you catch the reference to Rose in this episode? Uh, maybe. Remind because me. Because it was toward the end when they were sitting in the pub and uh, uh, they were talking about relationships and the doctor said that... Uh, that he lost one of his girlfriends in an alternate universe. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I vaguely remember that now. Oh, one other thing by name, but everybody yeah. knew who he was talking about. <laughs> one other thing about the pub is uh, the doctor asks a shielder to keep an eye on Sam Swift, mm-hmm. obviously, because now he's going to be immortal. Well, he, he alluded to the fact that he could not say 100% for sure, but well, I think he was saying that more to make a shielder feel comfortable about the situation than he was himself. 
Uh, she he he gives this this sort of <laughs> very unconvincing explanation right? of why it may not actually have given him immortality, uh, <laughs> and she just looks at him and said, "You just made that up, didn't you?" And he doesn't really answer. Um, Which we've you know, seen we, him do before, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but of course, you know, Sam Swift is the kind of character who may find himself in a situation where he gets himself killed before this becomes an issue. I hope now not. The, I, I hope now, now the question is, we're going to see a shielder again this season. That's already been confirmed. Will we see Sam Swift with her? I hope so. <laughs> I really do. I find his character refreshing. I find him, you know, lighthearted. You know, and sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need that character who just is high on life, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of reminds me of some of the old, you know, depictions of Robin Hood back in the day, you know, where he's just like, ha-ha, you know, because he's, <laughs> he, he's, just, he's just overjoyed that he's able to, you know, uh, vex some of these enemies that he's got because he just has so much fun doing it that kind of thing and i feel like that with enough time we would see sam swift become skilled at certain things that he wasn't necessarily skilled at before you know because with enough practice you can do anything Mm -hmm. and uh they they talk about that in this episode how she is become a master archer and everything because she's had nothing to do but practice over the years you know right um and so i think that he would be a very interesting character to watch evolve uh i I would really enjoy seeing that and and who knows maybe maybe they will become a pair uh (laughs) a shielder and sam swift Uh, you know it's something that could happen because of the banter that they had, which, of right. course, the Doctor is against banter. I'm on record against it, you know, as he says earlier. Uh, but <laughs> That was very first Doctor, by the way. <laughs> it was. He's very indignant about puns and humor <laughs> in general. But I do think that it would be really fun to see Sam Swift again. Uh, and it's interesting. If you get the uh, the iTunes season of of this series they after every story arc they have uh the doctor who extra uh you know which is behind the scenes of uh you know of the episodes and the narrator for this season is rufus hound who plays sam swift nice and i'm wondering if they got him to do that because he appeared in more than one episode oh i would love it so I don't know. That's I mean that's just sort of my rampant speculation, or whether or not the hiring for the episode and the hiring for the narrator of these behind-the-scenes pieces were completely separate or not. I have no idea. Well, here's an interesting thought too. Uh, the doctor said he would not take a shielder with him because of her take on life and the importance of life and things of that and the fact that she could at some point forget again and and all of this would he feel the same way about sam swift you know because he loves life he's very appreciative of life and he i get the impression that he would stay that way 
you know. Well, at least for a while, um, I think. Um, I, did, I, did the, I think that would be interesting to see him become a, a companion at some point. Well, maybe. I, I think though. I don't know that it would happen, doc- but I think it'd be interesting to see. I don't think it will because the Doctor seems very against having immortals as companions as a rule. Right. You know, once Captain Jack became immortal due to, you know, Rose's meddling, he he said no. Yeah, he literally abandoned him at that point. Right. And was not a big fan of the fact that he came back and found him and tracked him down again. Uh, And after that whole situation with Harold Saxon and the Master was over, uh, left Captain Jack there on Earth again uh, until... Uh, the situation with Davros the following season, and everybody came back. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, as a rule, the Doctor prefers not to travel with people who live as long as he does anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so it appears Romana may have been the only exception to that rule at this point. But there's always a reason why you make a rule in the first place. And from the look of things, the only way that Romana could ever come back at this point is when the doctor finds Gallifrey. Right. And, you know, who's to say whether she would come back for a cameo or whether she would not come back at all. Exactly. So we have no idea. Okay. Are there any other points of these episodes that you wanted to discuss, uh, before we start wrapping this up? I had one in my head and it has blanked out now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought I had another question, but again, like you, I don't remember it anymore. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I, I get the idea now after this story arc that, you know, everybody was talking about during the trailers, will Maisie Williams become a companion? Will she become mm-hmm. a companion? And I'm getting the idea now, especially after these episodes. No, I no, get the impression that she will be more like River Song. Yeah, I, I, she, I think she will be a returning character but never someone that actually travels with the Doctor. River has traveled with the Doctor on a couple of occasions, but never long-term. You know? Right. I kind of see Maisie Williams being the same way. I, I kind of... If, if she ever did travel with the Doctor, I think it would be for a special reason, and I think it would be very temporary, just based on what we've seen in this episode. But the, um, the one question that I did have is do you think uh, that her character is the hybrid that Davros was talking about uh, at the beginning of this season? Because Davros obviously assumed that it was going to have something to do with the Daleks. Yes, Um, he assumed it was going to be a Time Lord-Dalek hybrid. But we didn't get any kind of clarification on that. We just heard there's going to be a hybrid. Yeah. yeah, and the doctor mentions the fact that she's a hybrid at the end of The Girl Who Died. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. I don't think she's going to be the prophesied hybrid. Mm-hmm. I think this is just another red herring uh, in that sense. Right. I I think whatever hybrid we're going to get will have to do with Clara. You think so? I think so. Um, whether or not the hybrid is what causes her to leave the TARDIS for whatever reason, mm-hmm. or if she becomes some sort of hybrid and that is what makes her leave the <laughs> that TARDIS. That would be interesting. <laughs> um, 
so I don't know, but I don't think it's Maisie Williams uh, character. Speaking of Clara, mm-hmm. did you miss her at all in the second episode of this? Um, I spent the first 10, 15 minutes going, where is she? Because the doctor didn't really say, give any explanation right. as to why she wasn't around. And so I spent the first about 10 minutes going, where is she? What's going on? And why is he not talking about her? And then, you know, the story started to get going and I, I put that on the back burner mm-hmm. until the end. Obviously, when she came back, I was like, oh, okay. So she was around for this episode. And it, it was one of those things where it's sort of, <laughs> she was conspicuous by her absence. Right. Uh, and it was driving me nuts that he didn't mention it <laughs> at the beginning. And so it, it wasn't something where in the story that I missed her per se, mm-hmm. but the fact that she wasn't there just in the back of my brain just was driving me nuts. I was like, just tell us, just tell us, just tell us. And if he had mentioned something at the beginning, as to, well, you know, of course, he, he says something really offhand, like, well, she's busy taking a taekwondo class or something. But it was just <laughs> such an offhand, random, not really serious comment right. that it didn't feel like an explanation. And so um, I, I think if he had sort of if uh, a shielder had asked him directly and he said, oh, she's fine. She's just, you know, taking care of her students for a few days or something like that. Right. Uh, I think that would have been, that would have put it all at ease for me <laughs> for right now. Uh, and I would have been able to just move on with the story. What about you? Honestly, I enjoyed the episode more without her being in it. And I know that probably sounds nasty. I don't mean that in an ugly way. I just really enjoyed the doctor more without her than I than I have with her. Does that make sense? Yeah, well with the discussions that he and a shielder were ha- with he and Lady Me and a shielder whatever you want to call her uh, were having you kind of had to have that be just one on one. And if Clara had been there it would have slowed down that story and it would have gotten in the way of that story. Right? Uh, and so I think it was a smart move on the part of the storytellers that she wasn't there because you needed this, just the two of them, the Doctor and a Shielder, to get the full scope of this personal story arc, the character arc of the two of them together within just this one episode. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really think Jenna Coleman is great actress that I have absolutely no problem with her whatsoever but I am becoming less and less and less of a fan of Clara mm. you know and I, and I I don't mean that in an ugly way I just feel like that her presence with the doctor with Capaldi's doctor is making an interaction there that makes certain instances where I don't like certain things about Capaldi's Doctor, if that makes sense. Uh, you have an example? Well, just, it was more more prevalent in last season than it was in this season. Okay. Um, especially with all of the, the Danny Pink stuff and all of that. 
which I thought I actually liked the Danny Pink character better last season than I did the Clara character. But I think that a lot of it's the way that she is is being written as a character right now. You know, the 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 fact that she she's almost like a loose cannon at some points, and mm. and she's just you know she's become rather pushy type character in many cases and and you don't have the same type of, of uh, instances like that you would have had with Sarah Jane Smith you know Sarah Jane Smith could put the doctor in his place but do it in a way that made her stay likable mm-hmm. you know with Clara at least recently it's been more of I'm gonna put the doctor in his place because I feel like that I'm better than other people, if that makes sense, you know? Okay. Because I think she's kind of let it gone, go to her head that she was the impossible girl and, and all of these kinds of things. And I feel like that she has this opinion of herself that the doctor can't function without her. And that's just the vibe that I get off of her character at this point. And I'm just not enjoying it, you know? To some extent, I agree with you, and I feel like that side of her was definitely more prevalent last season. Right. I'm liking her more this season because now we're getting that sort of character arc that's the fallout of what happened with Danny Pink. And that is redeeming her for me, but it's not gotten me to that point yet. They're also writing her in a way that is definitely telegraphing that she's on the way out of the show. You know, there she is not going to. She, you know, obviously we know Jenna Coleman is leaving sometime at the end of this. Season, We're not sure you know, which episode by the end of this, yet, but we know uh, she's yeah, by leaving. the end of this series. So she will be gone by the time this series is over. Uh, we we know that is is a fact, but. They are starting to to throw in, you know, little bits of hints and story ideas and character beats that are moving her in the direction of leaving the show. And, you know, obviously with the the scene there at the the end of this episode where she says, you know, don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) It goes, "Uh uh-huh, right. Yeah, you kind of are, you know. You kind of are. And it'll be a couple of episodes but we're going to have this horrible, horrible scene where the doctor has to come to grips with the fact that you're no longer there anymore by the end of this season. Yeah. She is, I am liking her more this season than I did last season, uh, but I can see where some of your points are coming from. I can definitely understand it too. Um, Her pushiness and trying to have it both ways with the doctor and with Danny Pink last season started to grate on me a bit mm-hmm. but the way that they're writing her this season and having to try and find a way to deal with that situation okay. or in her case avoid that that situation uh, I think has really actually been good for the character see I know so. that in the past we've had some relationships that could have been a little bit grating and things like that when it comes to romance and stuff I didn't get that when it came to her relationship with Danny last season. That relationship didn't bother me. It was her behavior 
between the two of them, between the doctor and Danny, that bothered mm-hmm. me. It was not her relationship with Danny that bothered me. It was it was her overall behavior, and and I really yeah. that one season turned me off on that character because before that season I really enjoyed her as as a companion. Yeah, you know it. Her trying to play both sides, not necess- not necessarily against the middle, but both sides for her own benefit right. did bother me. And it would have bothered me if it was, you know, a, a guy doing the same thing. Right. You know, I, it, it's just one of those things where when you're trying to ensure yourself the best of both worlds without being honest right. about about it with anybody, that bothers me. And I feel um, like that that selfishness in her behavior is what eventually ended up, at least to a certain extent, costing her Danny at the end yes you know yeah in some ways yes and she's still got a bit of that selfishness because she is basically using the doctor as an escape from that emotional trauma this season at which she's going to have to confront and the doctors tried to help her by trying to bring it up but he's you know he told her you need a new hobby (laughs) yes and she goes i have one he says you need a hobby i have one it's you by the way we'll get a new one you know uh that we got that in the girl who died so yeah um it'll be really interesting to see how that all wraps up and i do think to bring it back to the original point that we were making i do think the hybrid has something to do with clara whether or not mm-hmm. she becomes the hybrid or not, I don't know. But I think whatever this hybrid is that they keep sort of hinting at has something to do with Clara. And I don't think it's going to be She could have something to do with the creation of it uh, mm-hmm. or whatever, in, inadvertently or whatever. No, I just I, – I wanted your opinion on her absence from the episode because I'll be honest with you. I really – I enjoyed the doctor, Capaldi's doctor – probably twice as much without her being there in this episode than I, than I did, you know, in episodes before, because you got to see more of his levity and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that part of that's the way he was written, but part of that is that he didn't have her hanging off of him all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. he, he, he was more free flowing as a character, and and this we don't get to see that as much when she's around. I think that actually brings me to uh, a a point that I made uh, when talking online with somebody with some people um, in a Doctor Who group on Facebook after it might have been after before the flood. It was it was after before the flood. We were talking about the episodes in a group on Facebook and it was one of those things where I felt like this season uh, the writers and the directors were actually finally giving Peter Capaldi the reins to actually carry his own show right? because it felt like to me last season while he definitely had good moments and shining moments and carried sections of the show Mm -hmm. They were relying on the uh, cameo of Matt Smith at the very beginning and the relationship drama between Clara and Danny 
and then of course the brilliance uh, of Michelle Gomez as Missy oh, yeah. returning <laughs> to carry the season. And even in the first couple of episodes uh, this season, uh, Magician's Apprentice and The Witch's Familiar, they sort of relied a bit more on Missy and Clara to help carry those episodes than just the Doctor. But it's his show. It's Doctor Who, not right. Clara Who or Missy Who. Um, right. <laughs> and And I was wanting to see the Doctor take the lead in his own show and i think we're finally getting that well, and they're finally letting peter capaldi stand on his own and carry his show well i mean they allowed david Tennant to do that in his first season they allowed him to just come in and take over you know mm-hmm. and and matt smith did the e- same exactly thing. you know um but and i i think it's the writers uh and maybe the higher ups at the bbc are just nervous about the fact that capaldi is an old man and they're not sure if, uh, you know, a young audience will buy into the fact that an old man who's not necessarily attractive and sexy like, you know, De- David Tennant or, or Matt Smith <laughs> would, could carry a show. You would be amazed how many young ladies I've heard this season alone talking about how hot they thought Peter Capaldi was. <laughs> I, I have seen a couple of those comments and I'm going, oh, OK, well fine um but but it is one of those things where obviously Tennant and smith struck a chord with the younger audience Mm -hmm. they definitely struck a chord with the younger audience and i don't think last season they were 100 percent confident that capaldi could carry that i don't know that they were 100 percent confident in the direction they wanted to take him as a character if that makes sense you know because Mm -hmm. compared to this season Last season feels a much more structured and much more constricted when it comes to his performance and his behavior, and I don't think that had anything to do with him, you know. No. Um, and I think that he his going to Moffat and saying, "Look, this is how I want to play the character. You know, I want him to dress this way. I want him to behave this way. I want him to play the electric guitar." You know. Mm-hmm. I think all of that, you know, is something that he intentionally brought to the character. And I think that every bit of that makes him even more relatable to younger audiences. You yeah. Know. Yeah. I, I think definitely Capaldi himself starting to take control of the doctor mm-hmm. definitely is helping this season. Uh, Which is why I am perfectly fine with him going for a couple more, you know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, wow, we got some really interesting discussion here at the end of the episode. Um, if you if you have some thoughts on some of the things that we discussed here, uh, please let us know. Drop us a line um, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash talking time lords, or tweet us at, at talking time lord, or email us at talking time lords at gmail.com. Of course, you can find that as well as all of our episodes on our TARDIS <laughs> on the internet at TalkingTimeLords.com. Any final thoughts, Paul, as we wrap this up? Um, I don't want to keep this going too terribly long. Um, you say all of that so easily without getting tongue-tied, and I don't know that I could do that. Well, I have done it for 22 <laughs> episodes now, so... <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm extremely excited about our next episode. Uh, we're not going to tell you who the episode's about, but I will tell you that it is a companion episode. Well, 
maybe we should because we do want your thoughts on this. <laughs> um, okay. And as okay. long, well, I will give a caveat here, folks. Um, I will be starting a new job next week as of this recording, and as long as my work schedule for my first week at the new job works out, we will be recording our new companion episode all about Sarah Jane Smith yes. next week, which I'm super excited about. <laughs> Favorite companion of mine. Uh, in all of Doctor Who. I'm excited about the fact that I get to go back and watch more episodes of the third and fourth Doctors, you know, <laughs> because I haven't seen all of her episodes yet, and there, I want to be able to see them all. <laughs> well, <laughs> you'll be, be in for the long haul. Um, <laughs> so if you want to leave your comments about Sarah Jane, uh, please uh, go ahead and, and put them on our Facebook, Twitter email or wherever um we would really appreciate that of course uh this weekend halloween uh the new series will be uh playing the zygon invasion followed the week after first weekend of november by the zygon inversion uh, which is a two-parter and so we will come back and discuss those episodes after the zygon inversion and the return of osgood uh has finished so i'm interested in seeing how they do that yeah this will be interesting <laughs> uh looks like unit and the zygons and osgood are all back and it could be the end of the world bum, bum, again, bum. <laughs> again. <laughs> oh also guys don't forget any place you see us any place <laughs> that it's available to do so don't forget <laughs> to leave us a review and a rating the higher, the better. It, it will very, very greatly help us to get the word out about the podcast. Indeed. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 22, The Viking and the Nightmare. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope for flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts, or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows. Would you like a jelly baby? Well, of course I would.